Ah, welcome back to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we help people explode into their lives through full impact mindfulness. We're not looking to help people find themselves. We're looking to help people create themselves. And we're going to continue our conversation with Karina Musa, Pittsburgh children author. So tell us about your conceptualization about these, uh, these books that you have written. Yeah. Absolutely. So those came about during COVID. Um, it was around the summer of 2020. So we were all obviously kind of confined. There wasn't too much going on. Everybody was in lockdown. Um, and I'm kind of a hyperactive person. So I always feel like I need to be doing something or I get a little bit bored. And I always had this idea that I wanted to write some sort of book. I didn't know what it was, never had any idea or a concept. Um, but because I love to travel and during COVID, I wasn't able to travel, obviously, you know, I kind of missed that part of my life. Um, so through that, and then also just my career background in healthcare and having, um, experience as being a health educator, I kind of, in some weird way, took all these things, combined my personal background with traveling and also immigrating my professional background with healthcare and being a health educator and just this want to write a children's book or just a book, um, I created Lana Swally. Um, and also watching a lot of Shark Tank <laughs> and watching people, you know, produce and create things um, was kind of inspirational as well. And, and that's how Wally came about. Looking at some background information on you, it seems like the, uh, the pandemic and the, uh, the confinement and the isolation uh, had a great deal to do with the direction of these books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was pretty much, I honestly, I'm not sure if, if COVID didn't happen, I don't know if I can say this, these books would have happened in some weird way. So we can view things either as a disaster or a catastrophe, or we can view them as a learning experience. So we've talked to a lot of people about their transition and their experiences during uh, the COVID years. Uh, tell us about yours. Yeah, so um, I was working full time. You know, obviously they had sent us home. Uh, we were working at home um, and said, you know, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And then a couple of weeks turned into several months. And um, I just, you know, found myself, I found a way to keep myself busy. I still saw friends when I could. Um, I even told a couple of friends about this idea I had. Uh, and, you know, some of them were encouraging, some of them. <laughs> just kind of looked at me like, where did this come from? Um, so yeah, it was just really a, a good time to have downtime and be able to do something I've been, you know, thinking of doing and wanting to do just because it was a slower pace of life at the time. And I was very used to a quicker one. Yes. Um, so it was just something to fill my time with. So how did it affect your parents? Every, the restaurants were close here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so so the restaurant did close for um, I want to say almost a year, and you know they did open back up at one point where when things started opening back up, but then a few months later they said no, we have to close again, so everything closed down again. Um, but honestly, like they they made it through, um, you know, with assistance and stuff, and uh, and they opened back up as soon as they were able to, and things are up and running again, and things business has been good, so they've been doing well. Well, the isolation and the uh, the COVID situation being at home, 
certainly cut down the distractions and all and many of the responsibilities that people had every day. Mm-hmm. Yes, significantly, and it's even changed our um, the way that we work now. You know, I mean, you see now people don't even want to go back to the office at all. Everybody's looking at remote jobs. I see, you know, several like I have LinkedIn stuff. So every time I go on LinkedIn and, and there's like jobs that I see, there's four or 500 applicants just for one remote job because people want remote work. They don't want to go to the office. So it's a very interesting um, shift. Well, I think people don't want to be wage slaves anymore. Yeah, that's true too. So <laughs> we talked uh, we talked earlier about, uh, you talked in one of your talks during a, when you had an interview about the perception that people have of Syria Specifically, you talked about and what it's really like. Could you share about uh, what's the common perception when a person thinks of Syria and what actually it is? Yeah, I think when people think of Syria, they just think of war-torn, um, a very war-torn country. Um, and they, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they think about the people there necessarily, but I assume that there's some negative connotations about the people there um obviously i'm syrian i have not been back to syria or i had not been back to syria since i was um, about five or six because bulgaria is very close to syria so it's easy for us to go we would go with my mom every summer um, but once we moved here uh, it wasn't as easy to go back there especially given our visa status it made it really hard to travel and um my mom and I went back in 2019 for the first time. So it was the first time my mom saw her family in about oh, 20 years. Wow. Yeah. So like all her brothers, her sisters, you know, her dad, um, her stepmom, they're all back there. So it was the first time she had seen them in 20 years. Wow. So it was just me and her. So it was a really great experience to see that for her. It must have been an emotional meeting. Yeah, it's very emotional. And, you know, I have a very large extended family, like like 200 people yeah. in between aunts, uncles, cousins. And some of them I didn't even know, um, you know, haven't ever even met. So for me, it was also a really good experience. But very interesting to see that um, they just kind of live the way we do. You know, they live their day-to-day lives. It's a very beautiful country. They're happy. You know, they, they have food. They get food when they need it. They have their homes. Um, and they just make it work. They live their lives. They deal with what's right in front of them. Yeah. Just like most everybody in the world does. Yeah. And, okay, well, great. Well, you, we talk about matters of perspective all uh, frequently, and I usually give this illustration, uh, Karina, about the difference between an expert's mind and a beginner's mind. The expert's mind, have you ever seen a thoroughbred horse race where you're in person or on television? What is it? A thoroughbred horse race. I don't think like so. Like the Kentucky Derby. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. seen, yeah, horse yeah. races, yeah. So they're big, magnificent animals, and they can do one thing, and they can do it very well. But what do they have over their eyes when they're running? Oh, they have the, like, pads. They have blinders on. Yeah. So they can only see in one direction, okay? And you've been around a three- or a four-year-old child when they look at something and their eyes just glow with wonder. Mm-hmm. And that's a beginner's mind. Looking at the newness and wonder and everything. So when I started to read uh, your books, and I started on the, the what delicious journey. Mm-hmm. Was it the first book? Yep, the, that one's the first one. I started, and I thought this. I thought of uh, Wellness Wally, and I'm thinking, this uh, 
Wally uh, has blinders on. Yeah. And he wouldn't, couldn't even consider or conceptualize eating anything but chips and candy. That's right. So tell us, <laughs> tell us about where Wally came from. Yeah. So um, in some weird ways, Wally is a boy version of me when I was younger. Um, you know, I obviously like a lot of kids like junk food. That's what I like to eat. Um, and when we moved here, it was more accessible and easier to get than ever. Um, and you know, every, so there's seven books in the series and every book focuses on a wellness dimension. So like the first one focuses on physical wellness for nutrition. The second one focuses on physical wellness, but exercise, um, you know, but there's one on like social wellness, there's one on environmental wellness, there's one on intellectual wellness. So they all focus on, uh, you know, something that can be learned in terms of health and wellness. And each book almost draws from my own life as a child. So for example, when I was a child, it was pretty messy and it really cleaned my room. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the environmental wellness part. So in that one, he learns about having a pleasant environment and why that's important. Um, in the intellectual wellness one, he learns, you know, why school is important, why knowledge is important. Um, you know, in, in the very first one, Delicious Journey, he learns about healthy eating and why healthy eating is important. Well, uh, you make quite a point of in these books about Wally, get out of your room and stop playing video games. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was, uh, was a young Karina playing video games? I definitely liked video games as a child. Um, I will say when I was a kid, I tried to learn sports, but I always started a sport and then I was like, eh, I'm kind of <laughs> over it. I didn't stick with anything, so I didn't really get great at one. Um, so that second one, the Wellness Wally's Active Journey, he's learning about different sports from an international perspective. Well, the best books are where you draw from personal experience mm -hmm. because you have a wealth of history and memory of knowledge to, to draw on. Okay, so there's Wally. He's sitting at home. He's eating candy and chips and playing a lot of video games. And uh, his mother seems quite adamant about him eating healthy. I noticed you used to wear healthy many times. <laughs> and she's always on him. Could that have been uh, mama? Yeah, I mean, definitely my mom. Um, my mom wasn't, I, I, she wasn't as naggy as Wally's mom is. Uh, but Wally's mom is mainly there to kind of be that devil's advocate to kind of make the story a little bit more compelling. Um, because like if, if mom's not there to tell you what to do, you know, who will? So. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. So where did you, where did you come up with the concept of Billy the Elf? Um, so I had just wanted, because Wally's traveling around the world and he's learning about, you know, being healthy through international inspiration, I was trying to think of a way that he could do it, um, quickly, obviously not realistically cause it's magic. Uh, but I wanted him to, we be like able magic. To, we like magic. I wanted him to be able to transition from each country in a way that was possible. And the only way to do that was magic. Okay. So Billy the elf is magical and he helps him travel through the means of his snapping his fingers instead of a plane or a car. That'd be cool. <laughs> so in the 12 step world, Karina, what we have a uh, conceptualization is our philosophy is that you can't think your way into acting right. You have to act your way into thinking right. So simply by telling Wally that, these things are unhealthy and these things are healthy, 
that didn't resonate with him at all. No, I don't think that resonates with him. I don't think that resonates with anybody. I think showing people works a little bit better instead of maybe telling them and trying to force them into doing it. I think showing them just a different perspective. Um, and then that kind of leaves the option up to them. You know, they can take it or leave it. But I think, you know, if it's something that's a good thing, I think people are open to trying that. So Billy doesn't just sit and give PowerPoint slides <laughs> to right. Wally uh, about the benefits. He actually takes him somewhere and has actual hands-on experience. That's right. So Billy helped Wally act his way into thinking right. Exactly. And I noticed that the first place that they visited in your first book was Syria. That's right. Yeah, where it started. I, well, my, my parents, where they started. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the recipes that, one of the dishes that uh, Wally tasted in Syria was kebeth. Is that correct? Kibbeh. Ke- yeah, tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, so kibbeh is basically like a, a mini meat pie. It comes in different forms, but this one is kind of like a little football shape. Um, and it's a meat shell that's made with um, wheat. And then it's stuffed with ground beef um, and a couple other things like seasonings and whatnot. Um, but that was actually my favorite Syrian dish. And you can make it, you know, in a pan. You can make it as like little pancake shapes. Um, but my mom always makes that for me. And I remember when I was younger, that is the one thing I always asked her to make for me uh, was kibbeh. So I used that. So I, I've noticed that this book kind of follows a chronological timeline of your own life. <laughs> and uh, so the next place you go you have Wally go is Mexico and the guacamole. That's right. And uh, could you tell us about your experiences with guacamole? Yeah. So the guacamole came from the fact that my parents owned a Mexican restaurant. um, And that was a really big part of my upbringing. Um, And, you know, I would help my dad make the guacamole. And I have very vivid memories of being in the restaurant and helping him. And he would teach me how to do it. Um, so that's where the guacamole in Mexico came from is just because I had a good experience with it. Um, but avocados are really popular right now too. Yeah, so, so very much so. Yeah, it makes sense. So then you go from there and then you go to Japan. Go to Japan. And, uh, I was kind of thinking that sushi might've been a tough catch for, uh, to introduce to Wally. Yeah, definitely. And I tried to use like a cooked sushi, um, because I know sometimes like raw fish, especially for kids might not be the most appealing. Um, so I tried to use uh, like a cooked fish um, or even something as simple as salmon. Actually, I think he eats a Philly roll, which is um, salmon, like Philadelphia cheese and cucumbers. So pretty simple. Well, I've noticed in Syria that he wanted to leave. He didn't want to taste anything. And uh, Billy told him, you can't leave Syria until you eat this. Uh-huh. Yep. So good. Good. Okay. <laughs> so I believe that after Japan, you might have went to Bulgaria. And was there some type of a salad? I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. So in Bulgaria, it's called Shopska Salata. Um, or Salata means salad. Uh, Shopska Salad. It is a Bulgarian salad. So it's um, like cucumbers, tomatoes, um, onions. I put olives in it sometimes. It's olive oil, vinegar, and then uh, feta cheese. Or actually, we use sheep cheese sheep's milk cheese, but it, you can use feta cheese as a substitute. And that was also a favorite salad of mine when I was younger. So what you're telling people is draw from your own experience mm-hmm. and put it out there so people can experience that and live 
live this adventure through your experience. Yeah. Although most people may not have taken the time to go back through your life, no. and your interviews before. But I think uh, I think that's the way a lot of people do write their books is based on personal experience. Because yeah. what what better outline do you have? Yeah, exactly. We'll be continuing our conversation with Karina Musa, Pittsburgh Children's author on our next podcast and as always here comes the free prescription you can cash it anywhere fruits nuts and vegetables and unplug your television and take up fishing however for a truly mindful experience we suggest that you fish without bait please do a kindness for yourself and do a kindness for another please forgive yourself and forgive another if we're all not god's children none of us are until all are free none are free namaste my friends If you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait.